HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box and Clover, working together to provide restaurants with even more technology for a better hospitality experience. Visit getbento.com better to learn more. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, I know they are waiting with anticipation to hear what this week's episode is about. And today, we have almost something that's practically breaking news hot off the press. Today, we are looking at the Good Housekeeping Kitchen All-Star Kitchen Gear Awards for 2022. It's very exciting. It's on newsstands this week, Good Housekeeping Magazine. Maybe you've heard of it. They've been around since 1865. That's a year. That's not like a password or a code or like (laughs) a, a geographical point. Good Housekeeping Magazine has been in publishing since 1865. And today... In 2022, you can still go to a newsstand and pick up a copy of the magazine, which is just really breathtaking to me Um, when you think about so many things, particularly in publishing and media and social media that um, have a moment in time and then dissipate and fade away. um, That kind of staying power, I think, certainly means something and is a testament to the kind of information that's in it and the veracity of how people believe the information that's in it, or take a look at it as a, as a good guidepost. Um, so with us today, we have Nicole Papantonio, who is the Lab Director for Kitchen Appliances and Culinary Innovation at the Good Housekeeping Institute. Um, she was just on this summer. Maybe you recall the episode, episode 270. It was very exciting. It was a first look at home composting appliances. And if you're interested in composting, but are afraid of like the stinky fruit fly possible disaster in a very small apartment, um, or even if you have a big kitchen, um, this might be the episode for you. So everyone should definitely check it out after listening to this one, because it's a lot of fun and the technology that companies are coming up with to compost at home and a small little thing that can go on your counter is pretty amazing. Um, But now today, let's get to the awards for this year. It's really exciting. Um, We don't often take a look at tech for people's homes on this show. We do a lot of technology that lives on your phone in terms of apps and uh, ways to get food, whether it be via delivery or making a reservation. We talk about big technology for agriculture, indoor farming, lab-grown meats, all kinds of things. We talk about uh, artificial intelligence and algorithms and data mining to help restaurants run better. But we don't very often get into just a piece of technology that's going to sit on the counter in your kitchen and maybe make you a coffee or give you some toast in the morning. So this is a nice look into things that are having maybe a closer practical application to our everyday lives. Nicole, thank you for coming back and joining us again. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to share our winners. 
And you also, um, you also kind of have the dream job. So it's fun to talk <laughs> to you as well, because your whole day is at the Good Housekeeping Institute and Lab, and you just like have a bunch of stuff you get to test and look <laughs> at and unpack and talk about and tell tell us a little bit about the Institute and the lab and, and what your day is like and how much stuff do you guys have? <laughs> Absolutely. I, <laughs> I imagine like... it being like the kitchen version of the scene in Devil Wears Prada where they go into the Vogue closet yep. and it's just like <laughs> rows and rows of shoes and handbags and dresses. I, I imagine your office lab closets to be the, you know, culinary enthusiast version of that. That's a really good description. Um, right now, I feel like we are overflowing because we are, we just wrapped up our testing for our kitchen gear awards, more than 200 products submitted for us to test them and evaluate them and really get our hands on these items. So in addition to that, our usual testing did not stop. So there right now we're actually testing microwaves and pressure cookers and hand blenders. So there is stuff everywhere. And I feel like I can add like stock room manager to my resume at this point, just trying <laughs> to keep track of everything. That's funny. So tell us just generally outline the type of testing that the Institute does on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm a huge fan of the website, goodhousekeeping.com, um, because you do test so many things. And I do, yeah. um, you know, personally, I, I do feel like it's a very unbiased opinion about, you know, how something works. And whenever I read the reviews, I see, you know, scientific data and, you know, um, regardless of what the product is. So I, I would be curious to know in a practical sense, how you, how you actually do the reviewing and the rating. Sure. So I run our kitchen appliances lab. And what that means is that our lab has food experts that work in it and, for example, I have a product development background. My colleagues that work with me have um, their trained cooks and their recipe developers and have been working in food for many years. And we test cooking appliances, anything that touches food. And the way we do that is by scanning the market and seeing what's popular and seeing what people are searching for online. And we conduct category tests. So what that means is if we are testing espresso makers, we look to see what are the hottest espresso makers, what are people buying. We chat with the brands to see what they recommend we test. Is there something new that just came out? And then we call in those samples into our labs and we do a series of tests that really emulate what the home cook would be doing in their regular kitchen. And we get a lot of data points from temperature, for example, how fast it brews, how consistent is it? We are measuring the volume. And in addition to that, we also score ease of use. So how easy is that espresso machine to use? What are the control panels like? What are the buttons like? What is setup like? All the little things that someone would do at home is what we're testing. And then from there, we're able to see what comes out on top. But I think one of the most unique things in the way we cover our content is everybody is looking for something different for themselves. So we write about different categories, maybe the best compact espresso machine, maybe the best all-in-one. Can it also brew coffee and cold brew? And the list goes on and on. Is there a best value if someone's looking for something just affordable that still makes a really good cup of espresso? And we write those stories on our website. Um, our testing data influences what goes into the magazine as well. And we really only write about products that we really recommend and stand by. And we just try to work with brands to really celebrate what they're working on and really tout the best. And that's just what happens in the kitchen appliances lab. We test everything from coffee makers to fridges, to outdoor grills. And then we have all different labs throughout the Institute from textiles that test everything from diapers to mattresses. And we have mechanical engineers on staff that are looking at things even closer than I could imagine because I'm not a trained scientist or engineer. And we have a beauty lab that's loaded with um, 
chemists that are evaluating everything from hair dye to moisturizers. We have a nutrition lab. We have a wellness lab. There's many different labs where there's experts in each one of those testing products and really giving consumers the best of the best. I'm a fan of the beauty lab. I'll I'll admit it. I love how it's um, the results are always, you know, increased hydration by thirty two percent, which is very specific. Not not yeah. it's not which is not, you know, one out of four you know respondents said they thought they felt like maybe their skin was more hydrated. <laughs> yeah. No, and those numbers um, we sometimes get caught up in them because, like I said, the beauty lab actually they're all chemists that do the testing. And they work with editors actually to really translate their data because when we talk about these numbers and these nitty gritty details, most people probably wouldn't understand what we're talking about. And then we have editors and the beauty lab director that, um, again, translates it into a way that readers can understand and appreciate and how does it relate to them in their lives. So for this issue of the awards, you added coffee. Um, Mm -hmm. which is a huge, huge, huge just category of appliances and stuff. And I mean, it's a rabbit hole depending on on how far you want to go in terms of calibrating your home coffee experience. Is this something that you would have done probably anyway, just because it's such a big category? Is coffee something that really became of greater interest to people with the pandemic, with people being at home? from 2020 onward. Um, In many cases, I know a lot of people who are still working from home um, and probably switch their coffee service from their local coffee shop or, you know, place on their way to work when their way to work was just moving from one space in their home to another. Mm Mm-hmm. And our coffee maker stories have always done really well for us. And I think that is in part to the testing that we do because when people buy anything, they want an informed experience and know what they're talking about when they're trying to make a purchase. Over the pandemic, there definitely was a really big uptick in people making coffee at home since they couldn't get to their local coffee shop or even anything close to their office, for example. So there was actually a big uptick in specialty coffee makers. So one neat tidbit is most people actually have at least two different types of coffee makers in their home. And usually it's a drip coffee maker in addition to something else, whether that's a single serve coffee maker or a French press or pour over, people have different ways of brewing at home. And manufacturers saw this uptick. We saw it. And these coffee awards are really a way of celebrating that. And I really, um, we actually accepted submissions for consumables. So coffee beans and coffee products, because there's also so much good coffee out there now too, that we really wanted to highlight. It's amazing how many different categories of coffee Mm -hmm. machines there are or ways to brew coffee at home. And as Mm -hmm. you were saying, most people have to, I'm trying to do a mental inventory of how many Mm -hmm. coffee apparatus we have in our kitchen. We have an espresso machine that has the lion's share of the counter space Mm -hmm. with a grinder. But we also have French press. We have the mocha pot. We have pour over, drip. And I think we have a capsule type espresso machine somewhere Um, and possibly a very, very small drip coffee maker also. So we probably have like six different ways Mm -hmm. to make coffee, which is fascinating. So, you know, obviously you had some clear winners um, because you have to pick winners. Uh, Was it difficult to pick winners? Is there one category that had, you know, which category had the most entries? Which category was so new that there were only maybe a handful. Was there any category of coffee brewing technology that was really interesting, but wasn't quite up to standard yet that didn't make it in? What are the, what are the highs and lows of, of the coffee reviews? It's really hard to pick winners. We get so many really fantastic products. And the one thing about the awards is that 
it gives me an opportunity to try all these new things. And if something didn't win an award, it doesn't mean it wasn't a good product. It just, there was so much competition. And what's really great is that we can use this data to influence our other stories throughout the year. But in terms of the items that stood out, we're always looking for ease of use and top performance. And in general, a lot of the machines that we were seeing across the kitchen and coffee in particular were things that could do more than just one thing. So now there are a lot of coffee makers that it brews espresso, but it can actually brew coffee as well. And it does it in a different way, all in the same unit. And even you have a coffee maker that can brew hot coffee and then shows you how to brew iced coffee as well. And then there has a built-in frother, for example. So you can make that cappuccino, cappuccino-like drink all in one unit. Sort of like the, um, we talked about this a little bit when we were um, talking earlier about different things. It's almost like the uh, all-in-one printers Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm sure people still do have printers at home where you had the printer that was a scanner and a fax machine and could do color and black and white and also print photos. <laughs> yeah. It makes me think exactly. of that kind of thing. Um, in looking at the in looking at the different categories and some of the awards, one thing that I had not seen before, which I thought was really interesting, was the heated cup, the heated mug. Yes. Is that a is that like a full blown category now? I would say so, actually. We just tested heated mugs as an entire category, actually. And Ember has been around for several years. And their, I would say, flagship unit is this mug that has a handle. And then this year, they've continued to innovate. And they launched this espresso-like heating cup. So one thing that really stood out to me is sometimes espresso machines need to be heated up before brewing their first shot. And this kind of allows you to always get a hot shot of espresso, whether you've heated it up or not. And the espresso machines that cost more money should get your espresso hotter quicker. So this cup helps with those more entry-level type espresso machines that need a little extra boost. So this was something neat that we saw in this category. Interesting. We spend a lot of time in our house um, looking at what type of cup the espresso went into, um, not yes. just to keep it warm, but what was the depth and the height and the width, how you know how high was the stack on the crema, did it dissipate, was it too flat, you know, all those types of things. I'm curious if when you do the testing for ease of use that you mentioned up at the top of the show, Do you open up the box and then just put it on the counter and try and figure it out? I know there are people who do not read instructions. They just open the box. They start plugging stuff in. They're, you know, taking it apart and like, oh, I think it should work like this. And, you know, famously, um, Apple iPhones and most of the Apple equipment is like that. It doesn't come with any directions. You Mm -hmm. just open it up, turn it on, and then you start using it. So do you diligently follow the directions and the setup point by point? Do you have another person who just rips open the box and starts to get it running and can't figure it out or maybe does figure it out? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. And your hunch is absolutely correct. We all know those people who do not read instructions. Everybody listening to this right now is imagining somebody they know who does not read instructions, who is have varying degrees of success in terms of making the new thing out of the box work. (laughs) And I will say most people do not read instructions. And as someone who wrote user guides for small appliance brands, it hurts my (laughs) heart, but I really do understand that that's the case because I don't want to have to fumble through a user guide to figure out how a product works. But at the same time, the way I advise my testers and analysts to test is, we open up it, open the product up, take it out of the box. We record our initial observations. So what we think, what looks interesting, what looks unique. And then we try it without the user guide. But we, of course, reference the user guide if we're having an issue. But in addition to that, we also score the owner's manual to see, is it actually instructive? Is it helpful? Because that is a big part. Consumers do need 
a tool to help answer questions when they're in a pickle or they're stuck. And then in addition to our initial observations, the way that they change from overall observations, for example, is sometimes when you take something out of the box, something interesting will catch your eye that after you've tested 15 different coffee makers, let's say, it's not that impressive anymore. So I always love capturing that data in the very beginning. Like, what are you excited to test about this machine? What looks weird? What looks like something that you really need to really focus on? So we do both initial overall, and then score the owner's manual. I am sure that there is a blog or a Reddit group somewhere that is devoted to instruction manuals. And it's fascinating mm-hmm. to me to hear that that's something that you also rate, but why not? And it's a part of the experience. Absolutely. Rating the user's manual, another another level, um, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. We are going to take a quick break and find out who is the sponsor of this episode. Did you know that Heritage Radio is a 501c3 nonprofit and we keep the lights on and the mics hot out of the generosity of underwriters like this one? Stay with us. Exciting news for restaurants. Bento Box and Clover have teamed up to provide even more technology for a better hospitality experience. With over 70% of diners researching restaurants online before they go in person, a strong digital presence is more important than ever. Bento Box's website, marketing tools, and commerce platform help restaurants get discovered online, make more money, and engage diners in person and virtually. And Clover's world-class POS and payment system streamlines daily operations for a totally seamless experience. With Bento Box and Clover working together, Restaurants now have an all-in-one solution that makes it easy to deliver better hospitality from the kitchen to tableside and beyond. Bento Box and Clover, the right recipe for hospitality. Visit getbento.com slash better to learn more. That's getbento.com slash B-E-T-T-E-R. You are listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today that intersection is your kitchen, appliances. We are talking with Nicole Papantonio, who is the Lab Director of Kitchen Appliances and Culinary Innovation at Good Housekeeping. The Good Housekeeping Institute, Good Housekeeping Magazine, right now, October 2022, they're Kitchen Gear Awards is on newsstands with a special coffee section. I know there's a lot of people out there who drink coffee. It covers all the coffee and covers all the kitchen appliances, um, over 200 over two hundred things. I can't even imagine how much fun that is. What are the standouts on the kitchen side? And is there something that wins over and over again? Or is there like a best in class that you keep in the on the back shelf and you sort of make everyone, all the new appliances, like race against it, you know, like this is the winner. Let's see what you got. How does it work? We saw a lot of really unique products that worked really well. One big thing that stood out that we, you and I have actually spoken about before are these multifunctional products. Um, We saw a lot of that. One of the standouts was this Ninja air fryer that isn't just an air fryer, but it also can slow cook and it can steam and it can cook with steam and heat at the same time. And it's just one of these items that you kind of wonder where can air frying go next or what is the next hit item. And all of the users that tried this really liked it and it works really well. And I should mention that when we test these products, we're not just testing them in the lab. We usually send at least five additional samples to consumers at home. GH has this really large database of people who test for us and we survey them and see what their experience is like. And that just gives us even more perspective of should this win or should this not win? Like I see a ton of really incredible products all day long, but for example, there was one coffee maker that stood out to me but was almost too advanced for the users at home and they didn't understand why it would be interesting or unique or why they should have it. So combined with my data, that made me realize maybe this shouldn't win an award because it's not, people aren't ready for it almost. 
So it's really good information to have. People aren't ready for this yet. That's an interesting comment. And certainly in in the kitchen with cooking, you know, there are so many levels of how involved you want to be, how much culinary cooking equipment knowledge people have. Um, you could be a great, great cook, but not really be great with appliances or vice versa. Do you um, ever do things like, you know, the basic one, the fancy one, or differentiate, mm-hmm. you know, versions of things within the same category? Yes, absolutely. And that's one thing I love about our stories where we can highlight that splurge worthy item, which makes me cringe a little bit when it's used as a subhead, for example. But people do want to know what is the best of the best. Um, even if they're not clicking on it to buy it, they want still want to know about it. So we do offer all that type of information and what was the most unique, the most innovative, the most versatile, things like that. So what were the favorite things um, that you came across in addition to the uh, Ninja Air Fryer that does everything? Were there other things so, that came in that surprised you? Were there things yeah. that... There were a couple of things that really stood out. Um, You might be surprised to hear that that Vitamix food cycler that we spoke about, the composting machine, did win an award. I really did. It does stand out in the whole kitchen appliance category for being innovative and really moving our industry in a unique direction in terms of sustainability and thinking of the earth and how we throw out our scraps that was something that won another really unique item was this little slicer that is used to open boxes. It's this tiny little product. It costs $6. It's called the Slice Safety Cutter. And it has a magnet so you could keep it on your fridge and always know where to find it. And I think all of us are getting so many boxes all the time right. that it's really useful to have. And it just has this really small ceramic tip. So compared to a box cutter, it's a lot safer. Box cutters can be a little scary and look certainly very aggressive. (laughs) Yeah. So this little item was something that really stood out and it could cut through clamshell packaging as well, which was one of the ways to be tested it. This um, Emil Henry Dutch oven came out this year that is made of ceramic and it's 35% lighter than its competitors. And we all know that Dutch ovens can be really heavy. So, for this item that's lighter and still the same capacity as its competitors and still really performed well. Our, like we make stew in our Dutch ovens as one of the tests and it was really tender, had really nice browning. The vegetables weren't mushy, really delicious. And a Dutch oven is something that, you know, fundamentally it's the shape and the size and it is the heaviness of it that makes it a Dutch oven um, to a certain extent. And it's also something that's been around for hundreds of years. Yeah, actually, it's one of those things I would have to ask the internet when the Dutch oven was invented, Mm -hmm. but I'm sure it was in Europe in like the 1600s or something like that, or as soon as they started like forging cookware. Right. And you mentioned the heaviness and how that's kind of one of the characteristics of it. There are so many different material Dutch ovens now that this one stands out for still being able to retain the heat well. And that's ultimately what you want with the Dutch oven. It should be versatile, so you can use it on your stovetop and put it in your oven, but it should be able to hold the heat so you can cook at low temperatures and really make that fork tender meat or your roast or your soup that's really flavorful um, the same way that anything heavier would. I definitely think that the little super slicer for opening boxes and the composter are two things that to me speak to the kitchen of today or the times Mm -hmm. we live in today. I don't know that people would be as interested in having a cute little, you know, bright green uh, box cutter handy on the counter if they weren't getting, you know, I don't know how many packages a day or a week. That certainly, I mean, even over the past couple of years, the number of packages we all receive at home has increased for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. That I don't know that, would that have been something that would have got caught your attention years before? I have to say, even when this came out, I was really, I raised my eyebrows at it. and, And then until I finally used it, I was super impressed. So 
I had, I guess, the same hesitations that you have, like, why is this so important? And then all of a sudden I used it. And now as we like quote in the actual story, it's with us all the time. And all of our lab analysts look for it when they're opening any kind of box. And iced coffee also is something I think that's, it's, I mean, it's not new, but it's definitely a newer type of coffee after we mm-hmm. went through all of the hot coffee permutations and the espresso-based coffee permutations and iced coffee. And now I certainly see, you know, we've been seeing iced coffees in, to buy ready-made, but iced coffee brewers, iced coffee brewing yeah. things that you put in your fridge. So is ice, is the iced coffee a new sort of category I- or trend also? I think cold brew is a little bit where it started in terms of iced coffee. People think of as watered down coffee that you could make with your drip coffee machine. Mm -hmm. Um, So now these coffee machines brew basically more of a concentrate. So it's not watered down. It's designed to be poured over ice. And in this one product called the spin, it grinds the beans for you. So as you, once you select your coffee drink, it brews the beans right before it, um, it brews. And then it has options for cold brew, cold brew nitro, which you would think are similar, but the nitro just has added pressure basically, and it brews faster. And it's really incredible, the difference just between those two cold brewing techniques. In one machine? Yes. That's amazing really amazing. Yeah. So it's almost like anything you can imagine you sort of have. Are there machines that don't exist that you can't find that with all your experience of testing things that you would say, oh my gosh, I wish we could just find a machine that did. I feel like something like that came up recently, but there's so many different items out there. Um, For example, Convection cooking in microwaves is something that has been around for a little while, but recently we tested this one Panasonic that was a winner that can also, again, air fry. And it's just trying to like even educate consumers about like what else can they do with their microwaves. It's Aside from that make I think... popcorn and heat leftovers? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, are we, exactly. we're still there though, kind of, right? Yeah. And we baked a cake in it to see how well the convection function, function worked. And it was a really nice cake. So it's just even this, this older, and I say older with like air quotes around it, technology that's not even becoming new again, but it's just we, like trying to educate people about like what they can do with it. Getting, and getting the most out of the equipment it. they have. Exactly. I have um, a great Japanese rice cooker and mm-hmm. it's fantastic. And I just really use it to make rice and all the different types of rice, but it has recipes and you can make all kinds of things in it, including Mm -hmm. little sponge cakes, which I've never done. But in the back of my mind, I always want to make the sponge cake in the rice cooker just because it sounds like it would be fun. Yeah. And it cooks with steam, essentially, like heat and steam. So it's this really soft, tender type of cake. Like you said, like that sponge cake. So after putting together this whole big, big, you know, the winners and going through and all the different categories, do you sort of take a deep breath and put your notes aside and, and wait until next year? How, how far, how quickly after publishing this one do you get ready for the next one? I mean, I'm, we all know that magazine publishing takes a lot of time because you're printing things right. on paper, even though you do have the online you know, compendium of, of, you know, at goodhousekeeping.com. And they're also, you're also on Instagram at goodhousekeeping. Are you going to start working on it next week, November? <laughs> Do you wait till, is it the holidays? You know, when, when's the big appliance rush? There's so many layers to our award program. So I definitely am thinking of 2023 already and just trying to figure out timing and how to, again, maximize all of the information that we got from this year and also think about next year, like how can we even make it bigger and better? What can we do differently? And the holiday season is really big for us. People are shopping for Black Friday, of course, they're getting gifts. So this type of information will be with me as we update all of our stories for the holidays and Black Friday. Um, So I'm not sure if that even answers your question, but it's always on the mind. 2023 is already on the mind. 
Um, but it's exciting. This is the second year that we're doing Kitchen Gear Awards, but our other labs have been doing their awards for some of them for 15 years and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. So it's almost like, okay, where are we going to store all the products next year when even more people apply? So those are the things that I think we have to look forward to just getting more different submissions um, and more excitement really. Are there any trends that you see coming? Have you seen things which are, um, I, you know, I get some, uh, you know, emails and suggestions of having companies on shows. And we do do a lot of startups and founders. And sometimes um, there's a few companies that, you know, I would be interested in, in having come on the show to talk about their products, but they're not available yet. They haven't made them yet. Right. They're still in um, an early stage. You know, maybe they're working with a manufacturer and they're trying to get the first ones made or um, they're raising funds to make the first ones or they're getting ready to launch it. And it's going to be like one or two machines, like in a place like a pop up. Uh, is there any technology like that that you see that might be c coming into the kitchen or coming on the way? I, I mean, on my end, um, what I'm seeing um, for the uh, commercial side, which, of course, you do things for home, um, house you do things for the house good house keeping <laughs> um you know things on the commercial side for a commercial kitchen or a restaurant kitchen or a production kitchen or a ghost kitchen i'm seeing a lot of robots robots that make things robots that make pizza self-contained robotic pizza kitchens um ramen robots you know robots to do all that kind of stuff um, which is the next stage of of just I think AI technology, but also people talk about it being you know very clean and contained and you know germ free or that type of thing, which is something that I think people are increasingly interested in. And then also three um, D printing is something that we just did a show on um, this fall, which is fantastic three D printing for home, three um, D printing all kinds of things for the home. Um, I've seen some. Uh, growing salads or lettuces and, you know, little gardeny things like that. But it's hard to scale something like that for the volume of, of greens that people actually consume. So, I mean, those are things that are, you know, sort of in production, but not quite yet and not quite ready for production to be in the home kitchen, but are, you know, out there, you know, circulating in like the commercial, the commercial and startup world. Yeah, so out of the topics that you mentioned, I don't see robots in our home kitchens yet in the way that you're thinking about. I think people are, brands are starting to explore that, but I think it's more this built-in technology. That one coffee machine that we were talking about, the spin, it pairs with an app that really allows you to take the machine to the absolute next level where it offers I want to say at least 15 different ways to make coffee because it has the control panel in your phone versus on the unit itself. So there's a lot more products geared towards teaching people how to cook with like the recipes and things like that. And like an added experience basically with your phone, you mentioned the indoor gardening and we actually had lettuce grow as a winner for this year awards and they are your indoor garden, I forget, it's, it's at least 30 plants that you can grow in this unit, but it's really tailored for the home and it has grow lights or you can use it outside. And it really allows people to, like you said, like grow those lettuces in their own home, strawberries, cucumbers, things like that. Um, the one thing that I noticed, especially through these awards, there's a point where kitchen appliances were, let's try to get things for a really good value. And I feel like the quality was getting lost. People are really thinking smarter. And I feel like a lot of brands are really thinking about the products that they're putting out. For example, there's this cookware set that we feature um, from Thomas Keller and Signia line through Hessen Culinary Group, where all of the pieces in that set are ones that you would use. And the innovative thing there was that it has two lids that are not your traditional lids. They have a long handle and they're flat and it's something that people use in restaurants. So Thomas Keller helped to design this line. So 
a lot of times in a kitchen or commercial kitchen, you're putting a sheet pan on top of a pot just to get it to come to the temperature you're looking for. And this has that aspect in mind. So it's solving a problem of space and really use. And there are some, again, these espresso makers, um, this one Breville espresso machine that won this year. Breville makes excellent coffee makers and they're all really good quality. And the added thing here is it senses how it, it grinds the perfect amount of beans for the shot and then it tamps it. Like there's a built in tamper that actually detects how well the machine tamps the grounds and tamping is really important because that's basically what allows um, the water pressure to go through the ground. So when you tamp your espresso, it's pushing down on the espresso be beans to almost form this puck. And if it's done too tightly, water can't go through to brew your coffee. So it'll be really, really strong. If you do it too light, it'll be too watery. So there's a sensor that tells you if you brewed it if you tamped it perfectly basically and so tamping is the very barista technical term of basically when you sort of like pack down the grounds exactly <laughs> and, and you sometimes have a little sometimes the coffee grinder has a little sort of circular um piece that's welded on the the there that's attached to the machine itself that you can kind of tamp upwards or sometimes you can have the separate standalone like metal or plastic or ceramic where then you're basically packing the grounds after they come out of the grinder to make them compact, as you said, but not too compact. Yes. Thank you for explaining that because I think <laughs> that's just one example of how we're so close to these products. So we think that this makes sense to other people. And that's why I'm so grateful to work with editors who remind me, hey, not everyone is a cook. Not everybody is a barista. They don't know what you're talking about. Camping. Excellent, excellent, exactly. <laughs> excellent AI on the tamping. <laughs> How do people become part of the um, consumer test group? I mean, that sounds like a very fun thing also. Yes, there is a link on our website where you can sign up to be um, a tester. And then we also launched a program called GH Plus um, over the past year where it kind of gives people VIP access to testing where it's you get a subscription of the magazine access to our digital content and then front of the line access to testing where it's a little bit of a smaller group compared to our larger database um, and that's where we go to to figure out testers and the way it works is when let's say the kitchen gear rolls around we send out an survey to see who's interested when people respond and tell us that they're able to test and they give us their limitations then we can send out products to those people who replied to our initial survey that's fantastic and so much fun you know one of the things about having delivery and ordering things online i mean it is really beneficial if you can't get it at a local shop, you know, in your neighborhood or where you live and it's a hard thing to find or it comes from a faraway place. So it's super helpful to be able to look online and get things. But really one of the downsides, especially when it comes to kitchen equipment, there is something to be said for being able to pick up the thing and hold it and see how big it is and how does it work and does it is is it actually as like well constructed and metal and nice as it is, or when you get it, is it like flimsy and plasticky and you know not working the way it's supposed to? So, you know that is one of the things um, you know that I miss about this era of online shopping, where you do have the convenience, but I I do like being able to see the thing sometimes and pick it up and look at it. So the fact that you know you have teams of people who get to do that is sort of like maybe a, a uh, not as good as me doing it, but at least somebody has. And I, I know people, you know, there are so many of those listicle articles floating around online, which are, you know, the best coffee machines as rated by Amazon reviews, you know, right. and it's like, I, I, I don't know how much veracity I give to the 4,000 reviewers on Amazon because I have no sense of what their baseline is. Exactly. 
And then there's actually something in, in the restaurant world called the Zagat effect, which people, some people might remember the Zagat restaurant guidebooks, which were the little red books. Some people may have never heard of them if they live exclusively in the digital age. But the Zagat restaurant guidebooks functioned in a way where readers would sign up to have their reviews counted and annually you would get a survey in the mail, like a piece of a giant paper pamphlet that you would fill out after we went to internet and the digital age, it, it moved online. But essentially it asked people, what restaurants did you go to this year? What was your favorite one? How would you rate the food and service? What was standout dishes? You know, something anecdotal. And then they would compile all of this and that's how they would come up with, you know, New York's best restaurant or the country's best restaurant. They're the best French or steakhouse or, you know, place for parties. And if when you would read the reviews, you would have number numerical ratings out of a scale of one to 30. And then you would also have little pull quotes of, of people's comments, you know, about how lovely and wonderful it was. And there was something called the Zagat effect, which essentially was people would know that a restaurant was the number one rated restaurant in New York. So most people would say, oh, yes, I went to the number one restaurant in New York. And I, too, agree that it is, in fact, the number one restaurant in New York. So there was a lot of, you know, sort of halo or effect of like, yeah, we all agree it's number one. And whether you would have gauged that as being the number one restaurant without that prompt was the question. So sometimes when I read these things, like as voted by, you know, people online with their reviews there, I'm always kind of skeptical of, are we, is everybody just voting for it because everybody votes for it? Well, it's interesting because when we are doing our research for our stories, we, of course, want to see what other people think are the best, um, but we just don't take it for face value. Just because one brand said this was the best knife, for example, we're still going to do all the testing on different knives to see how it performs. And sometimes we agree, and there definitely is a lot of similarity across um, titles, and I think that's almost... a even better thing like where especially the brands that are testing products when we see similarities I always think that's one more validation like if we think this and someone else thinks that that's probably means it's really good oh so many things so many things <laughs> so little counter space if you live in a small urban apartment um that's great so tell us what you have on the horizon for 2023 outside of getting ready for next year's awards. Um, do you have some yeah. things coming up? What, what do you do for the first of the year at the beginning of the year? Yeah, we just started talking about that actually, um, just trying to plan ahead and just trying to really cover topics that we haven't in the past. For example, we write about induction cooking, but we are going to be testing induction ranges and really delivering on induction cookware and these technology uh, categories that were around for a while and aren't really going anywhere and they're only becoming more popular. So that's something that I'm really looking forward to testing and then different features that we'll be doing in book and the features will be featuring our top picks. So it's just really fun to plan for the magazine and then make sure we have all the testing to back up any recommendation that we offer in book. It would be fun to do immersion circulators with induction and just do like the super, you know, food techie food cooking issue Yeah, um, where you have like the, all the super stable temperatures. But there are quite a few, um, you know, home, the immersion circulators for the sous vide cooking now that... You know, we used to be just really in high-end, fancy, expensive right. restaurants, which now you can get one, you can order one on Amazon and it has an <laughs> app that connects to your phone and you can buy the sous vide bags at, you know, Walmart and Target and then, you know, just make sous vide, cuisine sous vide at home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, so many, so many appliances, so little counter space, um, but it's fun. It's a fun episode and it's fun to see the things. I also note that there's a pizza oven. An outdoor pizza oven, like yes. wood-fired pizza oven, which if I had a backyard, I would probably, that would maybe be one of the like splurgy things. Because of course you need an outdoor wood-burning pizza oven. 
And this is actually a pretty new category. Sure, it's been around for lots of years in terms of cooking and cuisines and restaurants. But this year, we actually got a lot of different pizza oven submissions. And what just stood out about this one is how grand it is. And it's really show-stopping where people see it and they want to use it. And it's just one of those ways of elevating entertaining at home. And we all know that since COVID happened and we were all home, entertaining at home is still really big. So that was one of the ones that stood out to us. It is. I think it's, I think it's, um, I've enjoyed the entertaining at home and eating at home and cooking at home. And of course we love restaurants and we love our coffee shops and pastry shops and all those things as well, but it is nice to have things at home and, and cook on your own and, and make things. Um, it's always great. And technology in the kitchen is a lot of fun. And sometimes it's just a Dutch oven. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank Nicole Papantonio for coming back onto Tech Bytes and talking to us about the great winning technology at the Good Housekeeping Institute. This is the second kitchen gear awards it is on newsstands right now you can check them out also online if you think you're a great potential gear tester go to goodhousekeeping.com and all the information you can find all the information there and follow them on social media at good housekeeping um, and if you want to hear about those composting machines it was a great episode episode 270 in the tech bites archives we have tens of thousands of episodes of podcasts all about food and the food world archives on heritageradionetwork.org. Great, great, great library of information to look through and listen to, or you can find us on your favorite podcasting platform, Spotify, iTunes. If that's where you get their podcasts from, you know, I would like one of those five-star reviews also, and maybe someday on a podcast list, Tech Bytes will pop up as being one of the favorite podcasts as rated by iTunes listeners. So if you love the podcast, wherever you found this podcast, leave it a review. It'll help more people discover the podcast. And if you really can't live without it and think it's an important thing to have in the world, recording conversations about our food life, go to heritageradionetwork.org, click the beating heart, and maybe donate what you spent on coffee today. It'll help us make more radio and help tell more stories. I'm Jennifer Liutzi, and this is Tech Bites. This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.